financial planning and security can sometimes be seen as a moving target. The rules change constantly, and you need guidance to stay ahead of the market moves. This is the Labenthal Report with Michael Hartzman and Dominic Tavella. We'll break down the news, trends, and overall direction of the markets, telling you what may be coming next, investment opportunities, and what to avoid. Now, here are your hosts, Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. All right, I'm Michael Hartzman. Today is Tuesday, March 22nd, 2022, and I'm on, as always, with my partner and friend, Dominic Tavella. How are you, Dom? Uh, doing well, Michael. Back uh, still in New York. What a what a pleasant surprise that is. <laughs> but everything's well. I have no complaints, Mike. Happy to hear that. A little chilly today on Long Island, but the sun has been shining and uh, markets are up and and looks like uh, the flowers are about to bloom. So um, spring is definitely in the air. Yeah, we 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 obviously had a nothing short of a spectacular week in the markets last week. Just at that point where. You know, people were starting to feel the pain and wondering whether how and how much more they could take. And we end the week with the S&P up about 6%, uh, the NASDAQ up 8% in mm-hmm. one week, uh, small caps up about 5 6%. So if you stayed the course, my God, you were rewarded last week, Mike. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I didn't listen to the show from last week. I didn't listen to it over again, but you know, you and I have been using the phrase relief rally quite quite frequently, and, and that's what we had, you know, that people just kind of drew a sigh of relief because the Fed's kind of telegraphed now exactly their worst-case scenario, and the market hates anything, Dominic. They hate uncertainty. Uh, and we had a lot of it, Mike. In all fairness, uh, we we uh, the Fed has done a pretty good job of telegraphing their intention but telegraphing their intention and then actually doing it are two different things. Um, and, and we've known that they don't have a crystal ball. They can't predict the future, but when they came out with their statement, I think relief, I think it hit the nail on the head, Mike relief was the exact correct word. The markets took a sigh of relief and said, okay, we can focus now on what's important. And that is, is the economy growing? How bad is inflation? The other, the other headaches we have to deal with, but um, if you bailed, if you bailed and, uh, and decided that the pain was too much, uh, I mean, five, eight, ten percent returns in a week, uh, mostly we'd be happy if we could get it in a year, Mike. And we were yeah. able to capture that back into the portfolios. So that was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty happy, smiley week out of it. And being in springtime, that doesn't hurt. And that's been, and look, the old, look, whatever happened in the past, there's no indication of the future, right? But we said it, that this is kind of the new paradigm for the market, that they seem to move greater velocity, both up or down. What used to take a year or six months to happen on the downside now takes six weeks and the recovery seemed to be quicker. And that is why our job to get people to hang in there is even more important than ever. Um, look, uh, I, I feel, and maybe we are a broken record, Mike, but you know, we, and we try to work very hard at taking risk off the table when we think it's appropriate and putting the risk back on when we think it's appropriate. Um, and that's increasing and decreasing our exposure to the equity, the stock side of our portfolios. But the idea that you could time something like this is just impossible. And there you need to fortitude to sometimes hang in there and let, let the markets do what they're going to do. And then in this case, obviously be rewarded. 
Right. And just to be clear, we were neither one of us are market timers. Never. We're not going in and out of the market in, in large chunks. We never, ever, ever go to all the cash. So when you make a comment like that, we're just what's called trimming or or or, or adding to two positions we think need to be affected, but we're not we're not making these gigantic bets ever. And, and Mike, you and I spent a day last week inside the corporate offices of J.P. Morgan in Manhattan and talking to some of their leading uh, portfolio managers and economists. And, you know, he made, uh, we've heard this number many times, but he made a startling uh, remark, a uh, point, uh, and that was if you missed, I believe it was the best 30 days uh, in the last decade, in the last 10 years, what would your performance have been if you just missed out on 30 days of, of market performance in, in a decade? What would that number negative. be? Negative, it would be negative. Negative. Can you imagine having sat in the market for a decade and have a negative uh, return because you just missed 30 days? And last week was indicative of that. You know, it was terrific. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to mention it as well. We were, you and I and our team, you know, had a, basically had a private meeting with the, with the folks at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. And, um, you know, we had one of the lead economists and one of the lead money managers and asset allocators. And we saw in real time, because we learned together what the Fed's position was. Correct. Right? So we had yeah. one of the lead economists who's constantly on CNBC, has been a guest of our show. And we saw his reaction in real time to what the Fed said, because he thought they might raise four times and they announced, you know, they may raise seven. And, and his reaction was, OK, so now we know. Now there's no more mystery. And, and look, I, I realize we're going to come up on a commercial break, but I think what was most amusing to me is they had, they had four different portfolio managers that were, we were going to speak to that day, um, and they had four different opinions right, right. about what the Fed was going to do, right? And I, these were definitely, at least in my case, the smartest people in the room, um, and yet we had four separate opinions about what their expectations were. So uh, I thought that in itself was a pretty telling uh, situation to be in. Yeah, yeah. No offense to you and I or our team, but they were the smartest people in the room. Again, I, I definitely included me, Mike. I would never, I would never presume to bring you into that conversation, but definitely smarter than me. Absolutely, for the two of us, and and it was just interesting to see, as I said, to to react to it in real time. And look, at the end of the day, all you and I could do was gather information, kind of figure out what the consensus is, use our own experience. And then, you know, do the best we can after, after that point, basically. Um, and we, again, we've been fortunate so far this year. We have a long way to go. Um, there's some pretty powerful arguments on both sides of the fence here. The market will be lower by year end. The market will be higher by year end. Maybe we'll get a point later on in the conversation to discuss those viewpoints. Um, but to be where we are today, I can't complain. No, me, me neither. So Dominic, tonight's guest, I'm really excited because he's actually one of our own. So, so Eric Wagner, who's one of our financial advisors who brings you know decades of experience um, to our firm. He joined us about two years ago. We're excited to have him. He runs an office for us up in Connecticut and he has an extensive background in banking. And I know this is a sector that you and I talk about a lot, the financial services sector. And, and banking is interesting. Banking to me, is like a referee or an umpire. Like no one ever really thinks about their bank. 
They assume the money will come spitting out of the ATM. They assume they'll get their statement. So no one ever thinks about the bank until there's that uh-oh moment like we had in, in 2008. So we're going to get into the opportunities tonight in the banking sector with interest rates rising. Again, I know this is a topic near and dear to your heart as well. Um, it's a, a, an important sector in terms of where the economy is, but I think even more important, and this is, uh, we're going to get into the meat and potatoes with Eric, when we're dealing with a rising interest rate environment, uh, and assuming we don't go into a recession, and I think we, at this point, we can assume that, this might be one of the best sectors to have some of your money in, and I think in our discussions with Eric, we'll find out why. So on that note, we will be right back with Eric Wagner from Labenfall and Company. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Are you paying federal taxes on your cash? I work hard for my money that I keep in cash. And for the life of me, I can't imagine why anyone would want to pay federal taxes on their cash. That's why I keep my cash in the Lebenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund, symbol L-E-G-A-X, le tax. Rates on cash are already so low, why pay federal taxes on the interest your cash earns? Remember, it's not what you earn, it's what you keep. The Lebenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund, L-E-T-A-X, may help you earn more on the cash you've worked hard for and keep more after-tax dollars in your pocket. Find out more about the fund by speaking with a Labenthal Global Advisors Private Wealth Advisor or its sponsor at dcmadvisors.com. For your hard-earned cash, why pay the tax when there's the tax? Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. It's not what you make. It's what you keep. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800-441-7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities the interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax. After the fund buys a security, the IRS may determine that a bond issued as tax-exempt should in fact be taxable. There is no affiliation between DCM Advisors, LLC, and Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC. DCM Advisors and Ultimus Fund Distributors are not affiliated with Labenthal Financial Services, Inc. or Labenthal Global Advisors, LLC. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to The Labenthal Report. If you're listening to the show live, join in on our discussion with questions or comments at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at labenthal.com. Now, back to The Labenthal Report. All right, I'm Michael Hartsman, back with Dominic Tavella, and our guest this evening is actually one of our own, Eric Wagner, runs an office for us in Connecticut. How are you, Eric? Hi, guys. How you doing? Beautiful Welcome, day in Eric. Connecticut. A little cool breeze, but uh, uh, days are getting longer, and uh, it's a nice day, and hopefully the you know we're going to have a chance to get out on the golf course. 
Well, you know, winter always has a way to clobber us just when we're not looking. And I expect at least one more, but we, we're in a good place right now. And at least for the foreseeable future, the weather looks pretty nice. Yeah, but if, if we get clobbered, it won't stay around as long. Uh, again, happy to be having these conversations this time of year. Yeah. yeah. So, Eric, I know, I know you've been a financial advisor a very long time, you know, long history. And I know over those several decades, you've, you've made banking uh, a specialty of yours, something that's near and dear to your heart. Uh, you know, Dom and I have been talking frequently about the financial services sector because of a rising rate environment. And that may not be so obvious to our clients. So why don't we start off 10,000 feet in the air and why don't you try to explain why a rising interest rate environment is beneficial to banks in particular and even brokers as well? Well, I can, uh, in just by chance, I had a, a conversation with uh, a, a gentleman who's the president of a public bank and uh, we were talking about the quarter 25 basis point rise in rates. And he said that helps their NIM three to five basis points. So you get a quarter point raise and all of a sudden their net interest margins are improving uh, by that kind of amount. So uh, each time you bump the rates a little bit higher, uh, the NIM is, is one of the most important uh, parts of looking at a bank. And so uh, that improves their profitability and, and, and improves their margins. So, so most of our audience probably doesn't know what NIM means. I know you mentioned it, net interest margin, but could you get a little more granular on that? What 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 is net interest margin? Well, the, to simp put it in a simple fa fashion, it's what the banks pay the customers to uh, interest income on their accounts. And then they charge, when they make loans, uh, a higher rate. So the difference between the money they're lending and the money they're getting in and paying a rate is, is the net interest margin. So uh, that's the, the difference between the what they're paying the cost of funds versus what they're charging for a loan. So that's uh, net interest margin is uh, uh, very important and rates going up. Uh, the, the margin increases incrementally with uh, uh, versus the, what the customers being being given or being paid. So And Eric, just to kind of add to that point, um, banks keep the excess reserves that they have, they keep that on deposit with the Federal Reserve, is that correct? Yes. And the Federal Reserve pays them interest on that money? Uh, yes, yes. So um, every time the Fed raises interest rates, in fact, they are also paying them more interest on the money they keep in reserve? Yes, yes. And, it, and that's basically like free money, right? Exactly, yeah. I mean, they're not, they're not putting that money at risk, they're not lending it out, they're not, giving it to a third world country. They just have it on reserve and the Federal Reserve, as it does, pays interest on those, those deposits. Every time they raise interest rates, they're just gonna pay the banks even more interest on that, those reserves. Yes, yes. And that number definitely. could be huge, right? Well, the, the cost of funds is, very, is almost zero. So your net margins uh, is even greater relative to uh, a, a customer uh, being paid an interest you know, income versus the money they're lending out. So the, the, the money to reserve is, is basically hundred uh, percent goes to the bank. That's, that's a pretty nice business. If yeah. you can get in it, would, wouldn't you agree? <laughs> well, Freddie and Fannie are making a lot of money right now. So, uh, 
that's uh, probably not a fair comparison because the federal government now is is a is nationalized the, the the two financial institutions. But to your point, the uh, uh, I think we're moving into that period of the cycle where we're going to have increasing rates and we're going to have improved earnings coming to banks. And for the most part, I think there'll be pleasant surprises. And as, as bank analysts analyze the banks, I think we're going to see uh, kind of a continuing uh, uptick in their earnings estimates going forward. And the other thing is that uh, as this happens, you know, banks, a lot of banks will increase their dividends. So you're going to have, uh, it's going to be a win-win for the economy. And the banks are in a good position, uh, hopefully, to manage the uh, business opportunities they have in front of them. So, Eric, all banks not created equal, obviously. You know, there's the big five or six banks and national banks, everyone that kind of knows their names, J.P. Morgan, Citi, Bank of America. And then there's, you know, the second tier banks and regional banks and credit unions. But, but this is a type of market where all ships are going to be rising in, in a rising interest rate environment. There's no reason to believe that one sector of the banking community gets left behind, correct? Uh, absolutely. The uh, uh, one little footnote on that: the uh, uh, community bank basically has, you know, four hundred million up to maybe a billion and a half, and so that's there's a lot of regional locations where the, they've been there, and then they've they've built a, a customer relationship, and they've got local connections with the businesses, et cetera. Uh, but as you get bigger, for example. Uh, you had the merger of SunTrust and Truist, and they were large regionals. Now they're the sixth largest bank in the U.S. So the Wall, Wall Street, when they look at banks in today's world, uh, the larger banks will try will, will often trade at a, a bigger premium to book value than a community bank, which uh, if you're, let's say your uh, bank in New York, uh, uh, New York Community Bank is a, is a fair comparison. Uh, they're about a billion eight total assets. They have a six percent dividend, and they're profitable. The stock's at eleven, but the book value is fourteen. And now that the the streets, the rates are going up, most of the analysts now are raising their price targets for the you know, New York Community Bank to the fourteen, eighteen, twenty kind of range. So uh, as the earnings go up, uh, the analysts like it, and so they'll give a a, a higher estimation on the on the what the uh, stocks you trade at as a price to book. So, Sir, just a follow up to that. When you say that New York Community Bank is a, a billion eight, that's not deposits. No. I assume their deposits are significantly higher than that. That's total assets. Well, the, the, the total AM, that's, that's net worth. That's, that's the, uh, uh, the, the uh, it's, it's, a, it's a, I think it's uh, 27 billion total, total assets. And uh, okay, that makes more yeah. sense. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, but the uh, as this, as as the earnings grow, uh, it adds to the book value. So the book value goes up, and so people would argue that they would pay more in a healthy environment where things are continuing to grow and improve. And so, Eric, the the this is the positive side of of banks, and I'm sure we're going to expand on that as well, but. We all lived uh, through 2008, and that was the negative side of banks. So that's the loans that they make, yep. right? Uh, and clearly in 2008, we had quite a few <coughs> fail, uh, and the government had to step in 
um, that was banks making bad loans um, that that just never got repaid, right? Um, how how are these banks looking today? Have those regulations that were imposed after 2008 really gone to helping build up the balance sheet of these banks? Well, to the Fed's credit, uh, in 2008, 2009, uh, a lot of the banks would pool their mortgage portfolios and then lend them out. So you had loans against the portfolios and that people were basically assuming that, you know, this mortgage is, is money good, but it wasn't. So your loan to value was uh, kind of way out of whack because a lot of the loans, the mortgage in, in the pool's portfolio defaulted. So that took value away. The best example you can get on that is Great West Financial uh, basically had 22 billion. It was uh, bought by Wachovia Bank for 22 billion, but their, the value of the, por uh, the mortgages in the portfolio was uh, undervalued. And so Wachovia Bank was back seized by the FDIC and given to, to Wells Fargo and Wachovia spent 22 billion and they lost 33 billion. So uh, back to the loan to value issue, that's what the Fed didn't anticipate, and then all of a sudden, Fed sees it, so they've got to manage the situation. So uh, a lot of banks were were basically seized by the Fed, and you know because of the balance sheet, the, the loans were not were not money good, and they defaulted. So uh, now, what happened since then? The Fed's got a lot more uh, conservative, cautious, restrict restricted or restricting the banks, and so in today's world. Uh, uh, a bank uh, needs to have a tier one capital, uh, and that's their net worth of about nine to twelve percent. And if their if their value goes below that, the Fed will come in and they'll look at their non-performing loans. They'll look at the assets. They'll look at the business they're in, and basically, uh, you know, require them to adjust their balance sheet or adjust the the loans they're making to get back in that tier one capital uh, level, which is uh, usually gives them like a twelve to a nine to 12% ROE return on equity. So the banks, the, the Fed's gotten more uh, restrictive and conservative, which is I think the benefit of the banks long-term. So they're not, not allowing, and uh, you remember the good old days when they had the 125 loan, the person could go out and buy a house and borrow 125% of the, the, the value of what they pay for the house in, in a mortgage. So all those kinds of things kind of blew up. And uh, so I think in today's world, the, the Fed's more cautious of those kinds of things and, and not allowing them to happen. So, um, so it's a different world today, but which I think is good. So, um, and one little footnote on that point, the, uh, uh, the Fed is continuing to encourage banks to consolidate. So if you're a, uh, a billion dollar community bank, uh, they're encouraging you to merge with another uh, billion dollar community bank. So they want the community banks to have like four or five billion minimum that were uh, uh, minimum total assets, and so to that point, the uh, uh, they're managing their 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 business better today than they were in two thousand eight. So to that point, and then, you know, just one more question about this subject: when when the when Congress passed the TARP bailout, um, part of that was that the Feds were going to kind of do well checkups on the banks to make sure that they were not going back <clears throat> to their old ways. So now here we are 14, 15 years later, are they still doing those ball checkups or oh, yes. have we gone back to the old way of taking things for granted? They're still monitoring the uh, non-performing loans. They're still monitoring the tier one capital level. 
and and they're they're very cautious. They're they're monitoring and hands on, uh, hoping to not have something happen like happened in two thousand eight. So the Fed's still there, and <clears throat> the uh, uh, I, I got involved in a, in, a, in a bank in North Carolina that bought another bank and. Uh, it, it worked out to be a success because it was bought by another bank. But what I'm getting at is that the Fed would come in and they'd look at their balance sheet and they'd look at their non-performing loans. And so sometimes banks would have to decrease their total assets uh, so that their net worth would would uh, you know comply with the tier one capital requirements. Uh, yeah. You may so, not know the answer to this. I'm sorry, Don. Just one okay. uh, one last follow up question. And you may not know the answer, but do you have any idea in the last couple of years how many banks actually declared insolvency? It's become more rare, hasn't it? Uh, very, very much more is uh, rare. Uh, I can't think of any in the last four or five years. Uh, in fact, uh, a lot of banks now are uh, under leveraged. Uh, uh, Northeast Community Bank, which is White Plains, New York. Uh, their tier one capital is like 20%. So uh, <laughs> and to some degree, they're under leveraged, but they're healthy and they're non-performing. They, they have most of their loans are construction and they almost have zero non-performing uh, non loans. So it's a very healthy bank. And anyway, that's at this, at this stage of the cycle, banks are probably overly or more conservative than they had been in the past. Well, that, that actually brings me to my question, uh, Eric. If we look back to 2008, um, these banks were taking, I don't think I'm going on, out on a stretch on a limb here going to say they were taking really dumb risk, really dumb bets to try to make extra profits, right? I think for the that, most part, that, that's gone, right? Oh, yeah. These banks are not taking, we, uh, I'll say, dumb risks anyway. <clears throat> Um, well, no, I, I agree 100%. In fact, the Fed has told them that they can't do that. And if they think that they're making a, a, a decision that's not, it's just too risky, they'll say you can't do that. And, uh, you know, they, they're basically, the, the banks today, uh, in 2008, the bank would say, oh, gosh, I'll make a 125 loan on this uh, mortgage because, gosh, real estate prices are going to appreciate at 10% annually for the next five to seven years. So that didn't happen. And so, Banks are not acting that way now, or they're not uh, uh, conducting their business that way. So, and, and if you don't mind, Mike, I'll just follow up on that one. And so the loans they have on their book, they're always, they always have reserves in case those loans are not performing. And those yes. loans are actually, for the most part, performing better than they had anticipated. And are they now also releasing some of these reserves? Uh, yes, the... Loan to value uh, is probably eighty uh, percent, and they do have the reserves. So the uh, in in today's market, uh, uh, a Fed will look at the uh, loan portfolio, and if it's the non-performing is like more than two percent, they'll come in and say, you know, you need to work on this. You need to improve it and get back to uh, a, a better performing to non-performing loan ratio. So. Uh, the, the Fed's very, you know, they're very, uh, they're cautious and they're uh, monitoring this stuff very closely. Eric, we're bumping up against a break. So rather than jumping into a new topic, um, we'll take a break right now. Stick around and we'll be right back. I'll be here. 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. When you're thinking about where to park your cash, for over 30 years in the business, I've been a fan of funds like the Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. It's managed for cash and designed so the interest income you receive is free from federal taxes. And who doesn't love paying less taxes? Mike, generating interest that's free from federal taxes is appealing. But I've been in this business for a long time, and people love the potential for more income on their hard-earned cash. Sorry, Dom. But the beauty of the fund is paying less taxes on cash. No, my friend. It's the potential for more income. Mm-mm. Less taxes. More income. Less taxes. More income. Less for taxes. your cash, ask your advisor mm-hmm. about the Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free I'm Income Fund. You, less taxes. Or find out more at dcmadvisors.com. Well, Dom, one thing I know we agree on, it's not what you earn. It's what you keep. Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. Symbol L-E-T-A-X. Letax. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800-441-7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities the interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax. After the fund buys a security, the IRS may determine that a bond issued as tax-exempt should in fact be taxable. There is no affiliation between DCM Advisors, LLC, and Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC. DCM Advisors and Ultimus Fund Distributors are not affiliated with Labenthal Financial Services, Inc. or Labenthal Global Advisors, LLC. You are listening to The Labenthal Report. If you're listening to the show live, join in on our discussion with questions or comments at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at labenthal.com. Now, back to The Labenthal Report. All right, I'm Michael Hartzman, back with Dominic Tavella and our guest tonight is one of our own, Eric Wagner from Labenthal. Eric, let me ask you a question. In another lifetime, I was an executive recruiter on Wall Street, and one of my tasks at one point was trying to place financial advisors in bank programs. And I worked for a company that specifically did that, that was based in Iowa. And, and I learned a, a dirty word that the banks hated having financial advisors in there because they were afraid of disintermediation, which in plain English means they don't want assets or deposits going from bank uh, structure to a brokerage structure. And I would suffice it to say in the last 25 years, that world has gone upside down because now banks are clearly in our business. They're in advisory business. As you mentioned, they're making loans on the secondary market to all kinds of, of, of businesses. So could you speak to the evolution of how banks have have morphed into kind of a department store of financial services? Well, in in the old days, the banks had the trust department. You remember the trust departments? And basically there are no trust departments left in banks. So uh, the banks 
uh, have you know gone to FINRA and uh, consulted with them on how they can get in the business because they're if they can collect fees at one to one and a half percent and it's fairly no risk situation and you know do mutual funds or do ETFs and this sort of thing conservatively uh, they're going to try and track that because uh, the, being able to gather you know two three four billion dollars in AUM uh, and be able to have a you know 10 15 20 basis point uh, spread is 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 dynamic and and the other thing in today's world uh, in the old days you had to have a branch office and so in today's technology banks are going out uh, getting an RIA platform but then they're uh, attracting assets on the platform uh, through, you know, and that's just high technology. Uh, the best example, uh, Live Oak Bank in Wilmington, Delaware, I mean, Wilmington, North Carolina, uh, is about $4 billion total assets. They don't even have a branch office. Uh, they're headquartered in Wilmington, and so through technology, through working with Fenris, et cetera, they basically uh, built their business out, and so today's world is com completely different than it used to be, and at, you know, in the good old days, uh, you know, you had to be a money manager and uh, you know, manage money and do a good job. But in today's world, the banks are collecting or gathering assets uh, and, you know, in essence, trying to manage money and beat the market. So it's it's a kind of a different world today than it used to be. So, And, and some of that, Eric, came out of the 2008-9 crisis, right? We had the legendary Merrill Lynch now being owned by Bank America and uh, J.P. Morgan buying Bear Stearns, and I can yeah. go on and on. But uh, some of these were forced marriages by by uh, the Treasury stepping in, um, and some of it uh, just good business. But the tr the traditional bank today is not the tr traditional bank of 20 years ago. Absolutely not. The absolutely not the. Uh, and don't forget Lehman Brothers. Remember, <laughs> Lehman Brothers is around. Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers, etc. So. Uh, but I've got a, a checking and savings account at Chase Bank, and I get solicitations from Chase Bank people to I should open up an account and uh, have a, a brokerage business there, and I they'll either do a uh, you know a fee-based business or you know I'll do a, a commission-based business on a, a low price uh, per trade. So uh, I get a call from the bank, and uh, you know that bank used to be a chemical bank. Uh, back in the 70s and 80s, and now it's part of J.P. Morgan Chase. So um, it's amazing how you've had consolidations. Manny Hanny, remember those guys and stuff. So uh, today's world is crazy different. So um, yeah, but to your, to your point, those those folks who sit on those platforms in in those banks, my my wife was constantly being solicited every time she went to the bank to make a deposit, and finally she said, "Well, my husband does this for a living." You know, he's a financial advisor, and the the person on the on the platform said, "Well, maybe you need a second opinion." So, yeah. so I mean, I mean, they Wait, don't. You talk about your marriage or or the portfolio, <laughs> a portfolio. But um, I don't know. I don't actually. Not anything made me think about it. But 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 the point is that not only is there an incentive from top management, but that trickles all the way down to the rank and file and the tellers and the people who was sitting behind, you know, the desks to really scoop in as many customers as they can. I mean, there's an incentive for them to do that. Yep. Yeah, I agree. That's uh, I, I've got a checking account at Chase and I go in there and the, the gentleman 
probably every other time says, well, we've got an account we can open up for you here, a, a, a brokerage account, and it could be an IRA or it could be a, you know, uh, I, I say thank you, but no thank you. So, so, yeah. so Eric, you know, you know, I love to talk to you about this. And, and I guess about a month ago or so, the, the banks had really gotten beat up pretty good uh, year to date. And we jumped into it uh, with both feet. Um, still, as uh, I'm looking at the uh, financial ETF, still down slightly for the year, but maybe we hit, I think we may have hit the low for the year in that sector. And I think the balance of the year is going to, it's going to reward us for, for being in it. Um, what do you think the prospects are the rest of the year? Well, I think with, uh, we're going to get a, a, some more rate increases from the Fed. And I think that uh, the, for the rest of the year, uh, I think in general, the earnings are going to be better for the banks than people had anticipated uh, three months, six months ago. So I think we're going to, it'll be an alpha performer uh, in 2022 and probably into 2023. So uh, I'm, I'm bullish on banks and, uh, uh, you know, it's that simple. So uh, I think the banks are, are they're conservative, conservative, doing a good job managing their business. And with high tech and the, the live oaks of the world, banks are able to get in a lot of businesses that they probably couldn't have gotten into back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So the banks, I think the banks are going to be a healthy place to have, you know, have your money. And uh, ultimately, I think management of a bank has a lot to do with it, too. Um, and, you know, so it's become more, a little bit more bureaucratic, but, uh, uh, you know, the, the guy running the bank now uh, kind of has a good idea of what he can do, what he shouldn't do. And so at least in this part of the cycle, I think we're going to benefit from that and the earnings going to exceed the expectations. So, um, <clears throat> you know, I hope the Fed doesn't keep bumping up rates and cause a recession, but, uh, uh, I think we've got a, a good run here for a, a good relative performance in the banking space. So I want to get back to the recession comment you made. Maybe Dominic could ask you about that. But interest rates going up was the worst kept secret of 2022. I mean, everyone knew interest rates were going up this year. So what do you attribute the banks selling off, the financials selling off with the rest of the market? Was just a function of a baby getting thrown out with the bathwater? Or was there something systemic that investors that traders were worried about with the banks well in, in my opinion I, I don't know the answer to this but i think that the banks are the people that were looking at the banks uh they had had a good move and so they were basically uh questioning what's going to happen the next period of the cycle and so we had basically a correction and then i think also with the uh, uh russia situation uh, people got maybe nervous about uh, is this going to cause banks to, uh, you know, stump their toe going forward. And, uh, and, and did you know, they have exposure to not only Russia, but Europe? So that was a yeah, big question. Exactly. Yeah. So I think those all thing, all those things kind of added up, uh, you know, to a situation where, uh, you know, people had probably a nice gain and that, well, I'm just going to get on the sideline because I'm not sure what's going to happen tomorrow. So um, that's my opinion. So. It makes sense. It makes sense. So Eric, Mike brought it up, uh, and I'm glad he did, because when you think of banks and it, they're lending out money, um, and clearly they expect that money to get paid back, if we go into a recession, I think that's probably the number one problem, right? Will, will the consumer on the credit cards, uh, uh, mortgages, the businesses be able to pay that money back? 
And the assumption is that they won't. And then clearly bank earnings profits will go by the wayside. So we're very focused on that issue. What's, what's your opinion, at least through the balance of this year? Well, I think the balance this year, I think we're going to, it's going to be a healthy environment, but I agree with your economic logic. And that is that at uh, some point in time, uh, the Fed usually has a hard time knowing when to peak the rate increases and in, in improving the rate, in, uh, increasing rate increases to manage inflation. Uh, there'll be a point in time that this will in essence cause a, a greater likelihood of a recession. So uh, price is a big issue, uh, whether it's buying a new car, whether it's buying a house, at some point in time prices will peak. And as that happens, I think that the, we're gonna have a recession. So will the Fed see that coming uh, and react to it? Usually they don't. So there'll be a point in time down the road. And I think it's gonna be somewhere more, uh, maybe by the end of 2022 or 2023 that that will be an issue and hopefully the Fed can manage it and the banks won't have to go back and uh, you know, reprice the loans in their, in their portfolio and, and the loan loss issues and the non-performing loans will, uh, you know, will not be, you know, will not uh, damage the bank earnings that, that badly. So, uh, but I, I think right now the timing is that uh, they're undervalued based on the expectation and the earnings potential uh, given the rate increases in the cost of funds. So. But to, to your point in the first segment, you know, the banks have gotten better at, at, at pricing these loans and giving these loans to, to consumers. I mean, getting a loan now is not an easy task. I mean, there's a lot, a lot yep. of due diligence involved. So you, you would hope that, you know, if there is a recession, Yes, the entire economy may slow down, but but certainly banks shouldn't be in a position where they're sitting on a boatload of bad loans. I would assume. I I, I hope you're right, and I think this this cycle, given where we are, I, I don't think that they're going to get hurt that badly. Uh, the credit card companies may get, uh, you know, they may uh, have some loan losses that they can't, uh, uh, you know, recover. Uh, so there'll be certain segments of the financial industry that will be impacted. And I hope the banks will not be impacted as much as maybe they had been in the past. So, um, you know, it's, it's, I've got my fingers crossed. We'll see. So it's, well, uh, but I think that's an important point, Eric. We, we obviously spoken glowingly about all the potential revenue sources that banks have going forward that should be real positive for their balance sheet and their bottom line. But the flip side of that is we have to really pay attention to where we are in the economic cycle. If we see a turn, that might be the indicator to bail on this sector and try to find someplace else to put our money. I agree. I agree. The, uh, uh, there's a cyclicalness to banks as there is almost everything. So uh, I think your timing, our timing has been good getting into the banking space. And I think we got an open window for, uh, you know, to get some appreciation and uh, benefit from the opportunity we have in this space, in this sector of the, of the economy. And, and typically, you brought it up, uh, Eric, we didn't spend enough time on it, but typically these are pretty good dividend paying stocks. Yeah, uh, uh, the bigger banks, the you know, JP Morgans, the cities, these guys, uh, you know, if they, they, don't, they don't really div raise their dividends, but you've got a fair dividend like two, two and a half percent yield. Uh, the medium size and the moderate banks that are growing, uh, they won't, 
attract investors. So they're going to be, you know, paying out a certain percentage of the net income. So if their net income goes up 15, 18%, they'll probably raise a dividend, you know, seven, eight, nine, 10%. So, uh, so that, uh, you know, basically it, uh, in their mind attracts investors to, you know, support the price of stock and, and get an appreciation. So, uh, so I think that's, that's happening and it will continue to happen. And Eric, the banks seem to have gotten through, you know, the, the, the pandemic in one piece from the point of view of, from a commercial real estate point of view, you know, I've heard stories where tenants have gone to landlords and said, I'm done, I'm out, here are your keys, or I just need half the space I used to have. And Lord, landlords have been forced to renegotiate with their tenants. Yeah. But but banks, I don't think, did much renegotiating. I mean, if, if a landlord had a mortgage, you know, they were responsible for paying it. I don't see, I don't, I don't think many banks came along and said, I know it's been a rough two years, you know, don't worry about it. Correct? Uh, correct. I think this time versus the last time uh, when that loan was made, the loan to value was different today than it was in 2005, six and seven. So, uh, you know, the, the there's still an underlying value that in theory would give a better recovery than it had been, you know, before the 2008, uh, uh, you know, bank correction we had, so. And just for, for our viewers' sake, we have purchased the uh, ETF in the financial services sector. So it does include the Goldman Sachs, the BlackRock, the Morgan Stanley's, American Express. Um, it's a broader picture of the financial services industry. And again, I think all those companies are pretty healthy. Yeah, I agree. Uh, in fact, I we've talked about this. I think uh, some of the uh, investments you made have been good places to put money and you and you, you've we found the right uh, you know banking sectors to, to uh, or ETFs or whatever to, to put the money in so I, well, I, I promise you a cigar if you said that on air so uh, <laughs> I, do, I do owe you for that yeah. thank you Eric but you know you know Dom you make you make a good point uh, and Eric agrees you mentioned American Express and Visa and, and the economy is strong and the consumer is healthy and you're spending money. So, yeah, I mean, you know, they, they're technically not considered banks, but they are tremendous lenders and they do have a banking arm. So that was a good, good call. Uh, again, thank you. We'll see how it goes, the balance of the year. Um, but it's our job to pay attention to where the economic cycle is going to. Um, and I think this is a sector that should reward us the balance of the year. The key, of course, is do we stay out of a recession? Um, does the Fed uh, get us to this soft landing that they keep talking about? Um, and hopefully the answer is yes. I agree. Hope, hopefully, uh, yes, also. Derek, um, it's hard to believe, but we, we spent about 45 minutes talking about the banking sector. Um, and we are out of time. And I, I, we appreciate you making the time this evening and lending us your vast knowledge of, um, of the banking industry. It was helpful. Well, I'm just appreciate being part of the team. I'm happy to be here. And anyway, I can bring added value. Let me know. So that's uh, Erica, my from my perspective, personally, I, I love that I have a resource I can go and bounce some ideas off of and get your thoughts and uh, the common sense advice goes a long way. So thanks for that. Well, well thank you. Great to be here. All right, and I know you're at Tar Heels, so go Tar Heels. Uh, Friday night, uh, uh, UCLA.
I know it. Well, we'll be rooting for him. Thank you, Eric. Well, thank you very much. Great we'll to be, be right here. back. Yep. Thank you. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Are you ready to hear from investors and get insight on different asset classes? Join host Troy Eckert for the program, Talk with the Texan, Money and Life. Troy works with high net worth investors and is ready to bring you the secrets he's learned in his 35 years of alternative investment experience, along with his guest experts. If you want value, you'll need to listen in live every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Labenthal Report. If you're listening to the show live, join in on our discussion with questions or comments at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's one 866 472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at labenthal.com. Now, back to the Labenthal Report. All right, I'm Michael Hartsman, back with Dominic Tavella. Um, you know, Dom, it's interesting. We literally spent 45 minutes talking about banking. Next week, we're going to have a guest talking about real estate and, and the mortgage market. We could have a guest literally every week talking about a unique sector, whether it's tech or energy or, or consumer discretionary. Every one of these sectors brings something different, their own opportunities, their own their own risks. And and each one is really you can shine a spotlight on constantly because the outlook is evolving with the economy. Um, so two, two quick points, Mike. The first is that we created this podcast because we were listening to experts every single week. And we mentioned the JP Morgan uh, Asset Management Conference that we went to. We're listening to experts every week. And you and I knew what we thought was going to go on in the world and we what we thought uh, was going to happen going forward. But our clients didn't know. So we thought that having this podcast where we could have these guests on on a weekly basis would add some additional insight, not only into our thought process, but what was going on out there in the investment universe. 
Um, and then part of that is the second part of that is that the weather changes, right? The weather changes every every week, for God's sakes. Uh, uh, we had a pretty significant change positive last week. Um, and so the storyline evolves and it's our job to bring it to our clients and uh, at least if they want to make them aware of it. And it's it's part and look, as you I use your line, some sometimes it can be a little wonky, which you love that word. To, to really see how the sausage is made. But but it, to me, I think it, it, it also helps our clients understand how are we making these decisions? What information are we gathering in order to overweight or, or underweight something? Sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not. Well, you know, Mike, when we explain it to clients, it's obvious, right? They're like, well, why didn't we own it two years ago? Well, interest rates are excruciatingly low, zero, and the economy was in the middle of a recession because the government shut the economy down. No, you don't want to own a bank when interest rates are zero or the sector, the banking sector, when interest rates are zero, we're in the middle of a recession. On the other hand, the environment has changed. The weather report has changed. We're in an environment where the economy is growing, is relatively healthy, and interest rates are rising. This helps financial institutions exceedingly. Uh, so the environment's changed. We need to change your portfolio, and this is why. You know, and I remember, it's gotta be 15 or 20 years ago, you know, we were getting a lot of information about the health sciences, health science sector, and why then analysts were so bullish about it. And then I would I would try to explain that to a client, and it, and to me it was obvious, and then it became obvious to them because I would say just simply, well, people are living longer. So if people are living longer, then there's going to be more pills that are sold, and more operations performed, and and more you know, mechanical equipment that needs to be sold. So there, it, it, it may have been obvious, it may have been subtle, but, you know, there are small changes that happen. And then every now and again, there are gigantic changes that, that take place. And Mike, I'm sure this is a whole nother show on another evening, but the other large sector we're in is healthcare. For right. The very reasons you brought up, people put off healthcare because of COVID, because the world was shut down. They couldn't get into hospitals. They couldn't get into their doctor's offices. That world is opening up as we speak. Those companies should do well over the next 12 and 18 months. So again, it's a common sense, uh, logical, hopefully rationale behind what we do. If it works, great. If it doesn't, we're going to change course. We have to adapt the portfolios. We have to change course. Yeah. And in and, and, and next week, as I said, we have a guest who's going to talk about the real estate market, not commercial real estate. We really want him to focus on really the residential market and, and the mortgage market. Uh, my daughter right now is in the middle of getting a mortgage. And, it, you know, do we lock in the rate? Do, do, do we not lock in the rate? What does that entail? So I think that'll be helpful for our listeners. Um, the industry that's forward. under huge pressure and change. And I think we have one of the premier experts in the industry to come in and help us out, understand what's going on. Yeah, and also, you know, not to say, not to even mention reverse mortgages, which used to be a dirty word, and you know, not to do my imitation of William Shatner, but reverse mortgages are not, you know, they're not a dirty word anymore either. Um, again, used correctly and in the right circumstances, it's a proper tool in wealth planning. Um, but again, we're going to have a, a, a terrific guest to help us get through all these hurdles. Yep, and on that note, I didn't do it on purpose, William Shatner turned 91 today, so... Happy birthday, William Shatner.
only you would remember that. <laughs> I saw it this morning. Um, on that note, my friend, we are out of time. Again, and a great show, Mike. Thanks uh, uh, for doing this with us and me and inviting me on. And uh, <laughs> hopefully we have uh, more like it going forward. Well, Dom, you're the co-host, so I need you to show up. Yeah, but you can, you'll fire me anytime you want. So, <laughs> Have a good night, everybody. Good night, all. Thanks for tuning in to the Labenthal Report. Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman will be back for our next program, airing next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, have a great week. Thank you.